Has the silence gotten awkward yet? (laughs) Silence is really awkward, isn't it? I think we made it to 18 seconds. First hour, we made it all the way to 15 seconds. Did he forget what he was going to say? Is he mad at us? Maybe he's overcome with the Spirit. Maybe I've just been quiet. I know, that's a shocking miracle from a guy like me. It's so out of the ordinary for me. We don't like it when people are quiet. We think they might be mad. We, we don't know what they're thinking. People are quiet. They're giving us the silent treatment. Maybe they're upset. Maybe they're... Imagine 400 years. Generation after generation from Malachi to Mark, the Israelites, last words of the Old Testament, heard a warning, a promise, an invitation, and a curse. And they've waited. They've waited 400 years for for there to be some kind of a prophetic word from God that would speak and answer the questions that they're asking. And sometimes God feels silent. And we begin to ask ourselves, man, maybe he's mad at me, maybe he's missing. Where is he? And the temptation is, is that in that quiet, we're tempted to stop trusting And we're tempted to begin to do things under our own strength, under our own power, because somebody has to do something. That actually happened on the 400 years between Malachi and Mark. We see that there were books written. They're not in our New Testament. They're not in our Old Testament. They really were never received as part of canon. They were never, they were historical in nature. There's Maccabeus and a number of other books as well. We call them the, the Apocrypha. But they were never, by the New Testament church, ever seen as being uh, to rise to the level of inerrancy or inspiration. But we get a glimpse that God was doing some stuff, but sometimes when God is silent, it just feels like nothing is, is happening. And it's not like nothing was happening from Malachi to Mark. In fact, there were some things, there were some rise and fall of kingdoms. Persian Empire, uh, soon after Malachi gave his last words, the Persian Empire kind of, it didn't disintegrate, but it became a shadow of its former self. And there was this little, uh, there's this little empire called the Greek Empire, a guy by the name of Alexander the Great, who, who was on the front edge. They were taking over the known world. They were, a, they were an economic force. They were a cultural force. They were an artistic force. They certainly were a spiritual force, but, but they, were a, they were a mighty, powerful force when it came to this whole thing of the military. And, and they came in and took over what is called the Hellenistic period with the Jews. And they came into Jerusalem. And in fact, Jerusalem kind of picked up some of their culture. They, they began to speak in the language of Koine Greek. They, they actually kind of liked the Greek empire. And then there's this other little empire called the Roman Empire that you 
usurped them in around 63, 65 BC. We see the Roman Empire has now taken over Jerusalem. They didn't like it. And there was even a period of time in between there where Jerusalem got a little bit of freedom and it's called the Maccabean period where some, some Jewish princes kind of took over. That didn't go so well for Israel. And, and about the time you come into the into the gospel, into when the angels announce the coming of Jesus Christ and we see uh, glory to his name up into the heavens, a lot has happened. But as one individual said, there was 400 years of prophetic silence where God wasn't speaking. And that's what makes Galatians chapter four for me such a powerful passage. If you take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 4, I want to introduce this new series called Christmas Lights, just simply talking about how Christ has shown into our world. I want to start by looking at Galatians chapter 4. I've looked at it before. I'm looking at it from a different lens today. Every time I study this passage, something new jumps out to me. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 4. But when the time had fully come, the King James Version says it this way, but in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons, or we receive the full rights of sonship. Because you are sons... God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. Now, if you're a, a, a woman who's sitting here today, don't feel left out. He's using that terminology to, number one, equate with his son and to show how we have those same rights. But he's including all of you as well. So whether you're a, you're a, a child of God, whether you are a son of God, or now that you have the full rights as daughters of the Lord, God is breaking into our world. World and he is speaking in a bold manner. And when God speaks, I found over the years that it's pretty powerful. In fact, today's a very simple message. Three things about how God speaks when he breaks the silence. Number one, God knows when to speak for maximum effectiveness. Now, I would tell you right now that God is speaking for maximum effect. If you look at what he says, he says, in the fullness of time or when the time had fully come. And I would tell you, there's very few things that I really remember from, from when I was in college, but this is one that sticks out to me because I had a history professor who took great care to help us to understand why when Jesus Christ broke into the scene, when God sent his son on that very first Christmas Eve or Christmas day, why it was the absolute perfect time for God to show up in the fullness of time. And there are four reasons for it. Number one, it's this whole thing of transportation. Transportation means that in this day, there was actually the Roman road system. It's called, uh, it's called Pax Romana, or the Roman Empire was everywhere is kind of the idea. It's Roman rule. And before this period of time, there really wasn't any great way to get from here to there. If, I don't know if you've ever uh, traveled the interstates or not. Uh, any of you ever drive on 69? Any of you do that before? You go on over to where? Over to Lance, over to Flint, then to 
the land scene. The way we go now to Indiana, generally speaking, it's one of the ways we can go. There's a lot of different ways to get there. But we take uh, 69 over to Lansing. It veers down south. We make sure we stay on 69 unless you miss it like I do every once in a while because I'm talking. And then you go down to, well, there's a couple of ways, but you can go all the way down to US 6, turn right on US 6. It'll take you right in the big town of Napanee, Indiana, somewhere between four and four and a half hours from our house to my mom's place. That's about what it takes depending on traffic and Amish. That's about it, right? That's about what it takes because you might get behind a buggy or you might not. That's just kind of how it is when you go that particular direction. But what's interesting is there was a day not that many years ago when people tell me there wasn't an I-69. And before I-69, you had to take some other roads. In fact, if you've ever been on Lapeer Road and going over to Imlay City that way, it takes a little bit of time. And that same drive uh, about 40 years ago would have taken you about five and a half to six hours instead of four hours. In fact, there was a time where they were dirt roads and it probably would have taken you a couple of days because I'm assuming there weren't cars in those days either. And there was a day where there weren't any road systems. Well, that's the way it was in Europe. That's the way it was in Asia. That's the way it was in all of the known world until the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire brought on the scene this, this intricate highway system, not highways like you and I think, but a way to get from here to there. And when the gospel came on the scene, it could all of a sudden, it could go out into the known world. Not only was there transportation, but there was this whole thing called circulation, meaning this, they had citizenship. You could go from one place to another place on the earth and you wouldn't have to stop and give a passport. You wouldn't need papers. You wouldn't need someone to give you permission to do so. It's like living in the state of Michigan. I now am considered a resident. I've lived here a number of years. But if I wanna go to Kentucky, I don't need a passport. Although sometimes people think I should. (laughs) And I don't have to have a passport to go to California or I don't have to have a passport to go to any of the states in this union. Why? Because I know we feel a little divided right now, but we're one country, one nation under God, indivisible. And because of that, I can transport over state lines and I don't need anybody's permission. That was the Roman Empire. And because the Roman Empire was so pervasive, it was so huge, You could go from one place to another and you didn't have to get permission to do so. You had a road to get you there. You had citizenship, which allowed you there. And then you had this whole thing of communication, which was the common language. And remember I told you that when Greek took over, or Greece took over uh, the Hellenistic period and took over Israel, remember how I told you that they began to speak Koine Greek? Koine Greek is the English of that day. You could go just about anywhere that the Greek empire had touched. And now, yes, they spoke Arabic. Yes, they spoke Hebrew. But everybody knew Koine Greek, the common man's Greek, because that's how you did business. Like the English language today. I can travel not everywhere. I was in Mexico one time, and I'm embarrassed to tell you, I know very, very little Spanish, very little. I know a little. We did a, a missions trip there years ago. Man, 15, 16, 17 years ago. And I, I know ban, Banyo, Banyo, right? I know that. I know Ola. I think, I think it's a word, right? It's a word. I know, I know Amish, okay? I know Dutch. I know German. I, I don't know uh, Mexican or, or Spanish. 
I went up to this place and they had hot dogs. I thought that was pretty cool. I went up to the guy and I said, hey, how do you say hot dog in your language? He said, hot dog. <laughs> huh, I know Spanish, I didn't know that. But I found that you can travel just about anywhere in the world, you'll find somebody, not always, but you'll find somebody who can speak English. I was in Calcutta, India, 1996. I was in a market, we had a free day, we went to this market, hundreds and hundreds of shops. Every shop that you went into, you had to, you had to bargain, you had to barter. Uh, in Calcutta, the, at the time, it was three to one. Whatever they offered it to you for, the right price was about a third of that. So if they offered it to you for three bucks, you should end up paying about a buck. If you were in New Delhi, it was 12 to one. It's crazy. They, they, something's gonna cost, something's gonna cost uh, $12, or they asked 12 bucks, it's $1. That's, that's about what the, it should have been. And I remember going into this little place, and there was, in fact, I should have brought it out here. There's a, I bought a leather bag. I actually still have that leather bag. It's just as ugly today as it was the day I bought it. It was just a terrible bag. And I remember buying Tammy a long length leather coat in that same shop, and I was so excited to get her something like, it was a really nice coat. Had it for a number of years, and so I, I went into this place and I, I, I said, how much? And whatever the guy said to me, I said, oh, good. You speak English. He goes, yes, you're American. I go, yes, I'm American. He goes, oh, Yankees, New York. I said, no, I'm not a Yankees fan, nor do am I from New York, but I'm close to, and I was in Northern India. I said, I'm close to Chicago. You know, Chicago, Chicago. And he goes, my kind of town? Yes, I have been there. I was there 20 years ago. No kidding. This is exactly how it went. I said, you're kidding. I said, well, I'm not actually from Chicago. I'm from a, another little town in north central Indiana called Warsaw, Indiana. He says, I have a brother who lives there. And I said, and I'm thinking, yeah, right. You just want to make the sale. He goes, my brother is a doctor. And he says, my brother is a doctor in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I said, you're kidding. I said, the group that I'm traveling here with is out of Fort Wayne. We actually flew out of the Fort Wayne airport. I said, that's so crazy. He goes, yes. He says, my brother is a doctor. And he said, um, he was just here. Our father just passed away and the lights are going on. This is a true story. Absolutely what happened. I'm in a I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in, at that time, I'm in a country of 900 million people. I'm in a city of 12 million people. I'm in a shop buying a bag that I still have. And his brother is the doctor from Fort Wayne who was supposed to come with us on the trip, but he couldn't come because his dad passed away a month earlier and he had already been in Calcutta. What a coincidence, unless you believe in divine appointments. You see, God knows exactly when to speak. He knows how to break the silence. Oh, by the way, 
the desperation of the time, moral climate, they were ready for the good news of Jesus Christ because they had the Roman system of gods, they had the Greek system of gods, the Israelites had gone 400 years without hearing a prophetic word. It was a divinely inspired silence because God was preparing the world for the good news of Jesus Christ. Just because God is silent doesn't mean God doesn't have a purpose or that God isn't working. The second thing I notice out of this passage is that when God speaks, God knows how to speak for maximum communication. Um, You'll notice if you go to the Gospels, he says this, he says, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. This is Christmas. He's just given the Christmas story. He puts it in a nutshell. God himself comes in the flesh, takes on humanity, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law. In other words, God took on flesh to rescue you, to rescue me. That is the heart of the gospel. Now, what's interesting is that when you go to the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark's the first one that is written historically as far as in the timeline. It doesn't fall in that order in scripture. It doesn't mean it's less important. But that was the first one or the earliest gospel that was written. Matthew. They all have different purposes and they all have different audiences that they're trying to speak to. So you'll notice that when you read Matthew, it starts with a genealogy of Jesus Christ and he takes you all the way back to Abraham through David's or through Jesus's father's side, Joseph. You know why? Because primarily Matthew is trying to reach the Jewish people. And so he wants to take them back to Abraham to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Messiah who's coming. And so Matthew writes the gospel of Matthew to show that God keeps his word, he keeps his promises, and he can redeem your messy, messy lives. That's the purpose of Matthew. Now we're all included, right? We can all read it, but he is trying to reach a specific, he's speaking in a specific way to have maximum communication. By the way, Luke Do you ever notice Luke gives a genealogy, but he doesn't go back to Abraham? He goes back to who? Anybody know? Adam. He goes all the way back to the first man, because while we might not all be related to Abraham, we're all related to Adam and Eve, right? They're the very first people. He is speaking to the Gentile world. He is trying to take the good news beyond Jerusalem into the entire world to share that Christ engages your hopelessness. And it doesn't matter if you're Jewish. It doesn't matter if you're from the chosen people of Israel. He says, it doesn't matter who you are. The gospel is available to everyone. That's why Luke writes the book. John. John doesn't, he's writing to everybody. But what he's trying to help us understand is that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He is God in the flesh. That's why he says in his very first words, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was God in the beginning. And oh, by the way, the word became flesh and dwelled among us and he is the light of the world. And he is showing how Jesus Christ is God taking on humanity sinless. And he says that by believing in him, you might be saved. There's a purpose for the book of John. But Mark is interesting. Mark is the first one that's written and he never mentions an angel. He never mentions a star. 
He never mentions Mary. Well, I mean, he talks about Mary, but he doesn't mention the angel coming to Mary. He doesn't talk about Mary even being a virgin. He doesn't talk about jo uh, Joseph. He doesn't talk about the shepherds. He doesn't talk about the three wise men. He would hate my front lawn. My front lawn has a star up in the tree, has a manger scene, has an angel, and about 18 deer. I like deer, and I figure everybody bows down to Jesus, so my deer are all facing the manger scene and lit up, and I, it's a lot of fun. But anyway, there might be a little sleigh with a thing. I, you know, I just have a little fun with that. But it's interesting, why in the world would Luke, it's like he didn't know the story. No, he did know the story. Very first words of, of Luke, or of Mark. This is the beginning of the gospel. This is the good news. And immediately he shows how the Old Testament becomes the New Testament. How John the Baptist comes on the scene to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament of the messenger coming. And by the way, Mark is full of great news. The compassion of God the urgency of God, the power of God. I love that in Mark chapter four and five, in 48 verses, you see Jesus calming the storm and then he casts out demons and then he, he heals a woman who merely touches him and then he goes and he raises a little girl from the dead because Mark wants you to understand the good news is that Jesus has power and authority over everything in your life. You see, God knows exactly when to speak, but he knows how to speak. I have people all the time who ask me um, about making decisions in life, and I love doing that. And I'll give them some principles on how to make decisions and, and how God speaks into people's lives. But I will tell you a little secret. It's not really a secret. I've told many people this. But I've said to those individuals, God actually only has to speak to two people. You see, I'm in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm living in that promise that I made. But I also have a covenant relationship with my wife. They're the only two covenant relationships I know that I have. And so it's a promise that I made to my wife. It's witnessed by God. And so I told the Lord a long time ago, Lord, you only got to tell two people. You tell me and you tell my wife. And that's all I got to have. I like it when other people confirm it. But tell me and tell my wife. Because if you're big enough to speak to me through the Spirit of God, you're big enough to affirm it through my wife. I don't know what she uses as her policy, but that's my policy, right? And I tell people all the time, God knows exactly what he has to do to speak to you in the way that'll get your attention. And it may be different for you than it is to me, but see, when God speaks, he knows when to speak because we might not be ready otherwise. He knows how to speak so that he communicates effectively. Let me give you the last one. He knows exactly what to say so that it meets us right where we're at in our world. Notice what he says in this passage. In the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law 
that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. Now, there's all kinds of promises there, but here are the four that I see. Number one, he says, I can set you free. He uses the word redeem, redeeming. He says, whatever it is that is holding you captive, if it's your past, if it's your failures, if it's your sin, if it's your addictions, I want you to know I can set you free. Say that with me, would you? I can set you free. I have redeemed you. It means I've rescued you. It means I have bought you out of captivity. That's what God promises through his son, Jesus Christ. Number two. The second thing he says is, you're my child. You're my child. I put down the word adoption, but he says this, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Do you realize that whether you're man, woman, young or old, that when you come to Jesus Christ, God says you are adopted into the family of God. And as an adopted child, you receive the same heir as Jesus Christ. In fact, Hebrews chapter 2 says that Jesus looks at us as brothers. Now again, don't get caught up with that whole brother-sister thing or the, the gender aspect of it. It is that God looks at us and he looks, Jesus looks at us as brothers and sisters through being adopted into the family of God. He says, you're chosen, you're his child. If you've ever felt alone, if you've ever felt like you don't belong, you belong. I love our youth group. They're doing a great job. And Todd and Katie and all the sponsors and Eli, they do such a good job with our young people. But one of the things I really love, their theme over the last couple of years is just simply, you belong. The new hats they came out with, not only is it a sharp looking black hat, which is my favorite hat, but I love what it says on it, you belong. You go down and you look at the signs, it just says, you belong. You look at some of the, the swag that they put together, it just simply says, you belong. And the idea of it is, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what church you used to be a part of or church you didn't come part of, whether you know Jesus or don't know Jesus, we just want you to know, when you come into this place, you belong. And I, I don't know your whole story. I love meeting new families. And when I say families, that doesn't, you might be families, you might be married, you might be single, you might, I just, I love meeting new people and I love hearing their stories. I'll almost always ask you, are you new to the community? How long have you been coming to Colonial Woods? If they tell me five years, I'm usually embarrassed, but normally it's not. I'm pretty good at recognizing it. And how, how have you done this? And what do you do? And I love hearing your story, but here's what's important to know. God knows your story. And he says, I want you to know, through Jesus Christ, you belong. The third thing he says, very simple. 
you can know. I use the word assurance, but notice what he says. Because God sent the, son of, uh, the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. What He's promising is, you don't have to walk through life wondering whether you're okay with God. Je- Jesus says, believe in me. Paul says, to all who believe. Right? If you say his name, John says it this way, to all who receive him, to all who believe in his name, he gives them the right to be called children of God. God promises to send his spirit to give assurance in our hearts that we are children of God. I love it. He says, I'll speak when it's the most impactful. I'll speak so that it speaks very clearly. But I want you to know that when I'm speaking to you, I'm promising to rescue you. I'm promising to make you part of my family. I'm promising to let you know you don't have to wonder. Last thing he says in this passage, by the way, is, and oh, by the way, you're an heir, which means you have a glorious inheritance you can't even imagine. And for some, it feels like God has been quiet. For some, it feels like he's been silent. He's not missing. He hasn't abandoned you. In fact, I'll tell you, even when it feels like he's quiet, he's still speaking through his word, through others, through the spirit of God. But I promise he knows how to break the silence. Several years ago, It was a Saturday night service. I walked in, I sat down, we're doing our worship time. And I felt strongly impressed upon me a verse of scripture. It was out of Mark chapter five, I believe. And it was just simply when Jesus was walking to heal Jairus' daughter, the crowd pushed in around him and there was a woman who had struggled many years, spent all of her money, and been to many doctors with a bleeding disorder. And the woman pushed through the crowd and touched Jesus's hem, and when she touched Jesus's hem, she was healed. And Jesus said, who touched me? And his disciples said, well, Jesus, how can you ask that? I mean, what do you mean who touched you? Hundreds of people are touching. He goes, no. He said, somebody touched me. I just felt power go out for me. And the woman came up, admitted that it was her. For some reason, that verse came to my mind when I got into the service. And so when I went up and prayed, I read the verse and I just began to pray and I said, I don't know why it is, but God's placed this on my heart. And I don't know, there may be some here tonight. That Lord, if they could just touch the hem, just, just a little touch. Went into the message, have no idea what I preached, got done with the message. And at the end of the message, I was greeting people uh, up front. And this guy came up to me and he was trembling. And I, I know his name, I know it today. 
been struggling. His wife's been ill for some time. And he said, Pastor, as I walked in tonight, I was so discouraged and we've been, don't know what's wrong with my wife. And I sat down, I came in early. I was just trying to prepare my heart. And I sat down and I opened my Bible and I began to read this passage. Guess what passage it was? It was the story of the woman with the bleeding disorder. And he said, my prayer when I started the service today was, Lord, I feel like that woman who just needs a touch from your help. I just need to know you hear me. And pastor, when you began to read that passage, I almost fell off my chair. And I know what you're thinking. What a great coincidence. You see, when God speaks, he knows how to speak, when to speak. And he knows what to say. To affirm to you that he's not missing, that he's still working, that he's still fulfilling his promise. So trust him. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for today. And thank you for this season. We, we've come through a season of focusing on some hard things, but now, Lord, we get to focus on the great and glorious news of Jesus Christ. Paul said it this way, that there was a veil over our hearts, but Jesus, you shined a light into our hearts that awakened us to you. And so, Lord, I pray that today, wherever we're at, whatever a person is feeling, whether they're feeling like it's silent or whether they're struggling, that you would shine that hope, that promise, and the fact that, Lord, you are working. Even if we don't see it, even if we don't immediately understand it, you are still working on behalf of those you love. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.